Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Ruby Shea is a singer and songwriter from the central coast of New South Wales. In October, she released her impressive debut single, Sinner, featuring her band, The Red Horse. So I'm going to ask her about that and all sorts of things. Hello, Ruby. Hi, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very pleased to talk to you because I love the song and it made me wish there was more. I was like, why is there only one song available? So, uh, But I'm actually going to start right at the beginning of your musical life and ask you how your life in music began. Oh, I um, I've sung my whole life. I, my mum said that I sang before I could talk properly, which I don't think is actually accurate because you know you need to know your words to be able to sing. But um, I would instead of doing show and tell in primary school from a very young age, I would put on performances for my teachers and I would sing along to you know taking a tape of Leanne Rhymes or John Farnham or you know and just put on a little performance. Um, so I've always always sung, which for me, I think I connected so well with it as a an art form. Um, and ne- now as an adult, I understand that there's like a neurological connection between kind of hearing and singing along. And it actually is um, like proven to be a really, really good way to deal with trauma, oh. um, connecting those those two things together of the listening and the doing, which mm-hmm. um, does make a lot of sense. It was at a pretty tumultuous upbringing and it was always so great to be able to escape into music and when I was singing I felt like I could be that person I could be that character and it gave me just this little safe space so it's always been something that has always meant a lot to me it's been a big big part of shaping who I am and it's something that I've always I do more of um, or feel more intensely like I need to do more of when when I have other things going on um yeah i Learned. I bought a keyboard when I was an early teenager and taught myself how to play keyboard. It was an old Casio one that had the hundred songs in the song bank and the keys lit up to where you had to press. <laughs> and that's how I learned how to structure chords on a keyboard. And I, yeah, started kind of playing along with songs that I liked and yeah, picked up a guitar when my keyboard broke when I was about 19. So it's uh, a bit of a late bloomer, I think, but, you know, it's always been something that has it's played a big part in some pretty pivotal moments mm-hmm. in my life. So after the keyboard broke, did you get a new keyboard or are you stuck with guitar? No, so I, I do have a, I do have some keys as well, but um, I will not show you because it grosses people out, but I snapped a tendon in my finger playing netball and it is kind of permanently sits funny oh. now and I can't, I can't move it like this. It's okay. my ring finger on my opposite hand and I, I can't move it like that. So now playing keyboard is a little bit more difficult than what it used to be but it also you know guitar is a lot more portable um than what the old piano is Mm. but I do still I do still play it I do still like to you know there are songs that just you need a piano for yeah yeah (laughs) um netball wrecker of knees and ankles and now as I've found out fingers too (laughs) absolutely yes That's very unfortunate. But I just wanted to go back to what you said about the neurological connection between hearing and yeah. expressing. So it seems like as a child you instinctually knew that, like you were going to music as a way of, of comforting yourself, almost, yeah. but not just to music but to performance. Um, so I'm wondering how you how you found out about that neurological con- connection. Have you done some study into music um, 
Music in the brain, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it actually completely happened by accident. Um, I, I, my day job is um, within the child protection realm and social services. So we do a lot of work around therapeutic interventions and, you know, what we can do. And I, I work now with kids that grow up in environments like what I did. And I love being able to have that lived experience to bring to it. But one of the really great things is we were doing this um, session with one of the guys who helps us to come in and review what our therapeutic interventions are and how the practice is running. And uh, she actually mentioned it to me. And we did have a conversation afterwards where I, I, it was a light bulb moment for me. I was like, wow, so much of my life actually makes sense now because it's something that I gravitated to that I knew that helped me. And I just thought that it was just, you know, a little connection that you had. But then to understand that there's actually some some science and some neurology behind it was really just incredible. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not unrelated to the practice of mantra in certain belief systems where that they, you know, that internal resonance is, is meant to be like an internal massage for the organs, I guess, on one yeah, level, absolutely. but also just that 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 awareness over millennia of practice that there's something inherently soothing about doing it and, and not sedating maybe, but just calming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> calming is a much better terminology. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because it depends on the mantra. If you if you want to do OM for 30 minutes, then maybe it will be sedating. I don't know. That's true. Definitely for those around you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess for you, your primary instrument is voice. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And even as a, a keyboardist or as a guitarist, um, I have been saying the last couple of years, like I really need to knuckle down and and get a little bit better at that as a practice. I um I got a little bit lazy, I think, because my main instrument is voice and I can accompany myself and I can write, but, you know, I can't really do anything tricky. I'm working on that. I'm working really hard on that. I've met throughout this journey so far, I've met some amazing musicians that can just do such amazing things. And I would love to, you know, get myself to a a level similar to that. And I need to put in the hard yards and I really need to put in some work. So I'm working on that now. That's, That's the next next goal amongst other things. But is, you know, really try to hone in my practice on more than just that one level. Mm-hmm. And your voice is so rich and it has this beautiful warm tone to it. And also it sounds like it has layers within it. So everything you're saying to me now makes sense in terms of your your background singing because you have been doing it since such a young age. I'm wondering if the, the singing voice you have now for your songs is something that has evolved over time or whether maybe once you hit teenage years that that voice was like that. Look, I only hear myself within my own head, so I'm, I'm not sure. But um, I always, I have never had a singing lesson. It's just always been something that I've been able to do. And from a young age, I have heard or I had been told that I had quite a, quite a nice tone and quite a lot of a lot of depth, and I was able to kind of connect with people, which is amazing like that's a, that's amazing things to hear and it's amazing even to kind of hear that feedback from you is fabulous I put off releasing music for so long because I was just so scared about what people would think and uh you know now that things are out there and I'm on this track of momentum I'm um you know it probably would have been good to do it a little bit earlier but I do I do think that things happen when they're supposed to and the right moments find you when they're supposed to and that you're exactly where you're supposed to be and you know, that's kind of where things come. Like maybe, maybe vocally I wasn't where I needed to be earlier. And now I've got all these layers of maturity and control and richness and a little bit more sure of myself. I do definitely think that that comes out now when I perform as opposed to 10 years ago. 
Yeah. And you mentioned that you took, you know, John Farnham cassettes to sing along to at school. Well, that is quite a voice to sing along to. So <laughs> I wouldn't mind betting that, that that's part of the technique you've developed is just trying to keep up with Farnsey. Oh, absolutely. And Leanne Rhymes, like she's insane. So yeah, I uh, I definitely thought that I could sing exactly like them when I was younger. I'm very sure that I couldn't, but um, <laughs> just try. I thought that I could and I, I gave it everything. I had dance moves and uh, actions and everything. <laughs> So that's the performance part of your life. I'm wondering when songwriting started for you. Um, I was about 19 when I wrote my first song, um, which is a song called Ragdoll. And I do plan for that to be um, on an album that I'm looking to release kind of the tail end of next year. Hopefully it will be out by this time next year. And um, it, that, it was, I think, moving into adulthood, um, you know, out of being a, a child by age and, uh, you know, not too much else. I was out of home at a really young age, but being you know the age of an adult and mm-hmm. I you know moved and I didn't know anyone I'd moved from Vega you know out in the country to Sydney and it was so overwhelming and I just um it was around the same time that my keyboard broke and my housemate had a guitar and taught me a couple of chords and you know I, I wrote this song which is um now it sounds really cool it's got a really cool kind of honky-tonk sound to it um but I wrote it in a, a pretty deep moment of reflection about you know, about my childhood and the way I kind of felt. And it just, it was so amazing to have something that I could do mm-hmm. and share in a way that wasn't actually telling a story. Like you didn't, I feel like when you write songs, you're eight, they belong to you. But once you put them out there, I feel like they start belonging to other people. And that art of kind of letting go or somebody coming to you and going, oh, you know, I thought about this when I heard that song and it's, entirely different to what you felt when you wrote it and it just for me that's just such and I guess it invokes a feeling of being a whole lot less alone yeah and liberating too I imagine to feel that you can let go of an experience maybe that you held quite tightly and it had an impact on you and then because you acknowledge that it does then belong to other people it's like well I'm setting that free Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that doing that as a conscious practice is reasonably new to me. You know, I'm in my 30s, so it's taken me a little while to start kind of going, oh, this is what that looks like now to, you know, move that aside and, you know, get out of your own head a little bit, which is fabulous. And, you know, I really hope that um, anyone who even stumbles across this interview or any of my music is able to you know, find a little bit of that and go, oh, you know what, actually... I'm not going to wait till I'm in my 30s. I'm going to start letting go of some stuff now. Like, yeah, it really is amazing. I've written, um, yes, pretty consistently from about 19 and it's always been overwhelming feelings, like overwhelming moments. Most of my songs are 10 minutes. I have this overwhelming feeling or emotional sensation and I just feel the need to write and I will get the bones of the song out in about 10 minutes and it takes a lot longer to get it release ready don't don't worry but um the actual bones of it is generally done pretty quick because it is just such a big release for me yeah so it feels like you you know that feeling when it's I like to compare it like to a rising tide almost it's like that tide that's it's rising it's rising at a certain point you just gotta let it come in um and that's when you sit down and it can happen quite quickly yeah yeah or it'll just pop into my head and I'll go oh okay, I'm feeling something about that right now. And then it isn't until I've written the song that I, and I realise how much I guess I've let go of, um, that I, you know, things just kind of sit in the back of your mind sometimes until 
I guess they're no longer in the back of your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You talked about it in terms of a practice. It is it is a hard practice, I think, to get to, but also to maintain because it does require you to constantly recommit yourself because there is a, there is a, a physical nature to writing, um, which is it's not just sitting. And I don't mean you know taking a pen or tapping out. It's actually that that process of getting it out of your body and into a song or whatever it is. Um, but also, it's quite normal to have doubt and fear, and those can creep in at any time. So you have to keep yeah. saying to yourself, "No, no, I can do this. I have done it before." Mm. Absolutely. Well, that's actually most of the context of what the the next single is based around so <laughs> which we will talk to uh talk about yeah, yeah. let's pop a pin in that one for the moment <laughs> yeah we do have a question about it um now before we get to talking about sinner i did want to ask you about the band the red horse yes so how long when that when did that form how long have you been together uh not too long um so the the main i guess alchemist within the red horse is uh, a dear friend by the name of sean and we We've known each other for about 10 years. Um, we met at, at a Songwriters Association night here on the Central Coast and I really loved his music and he really loved my music and we'd been friendly consistently since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really was about 18 months ago when I started taking gigging really seriously and he came to um, an original showcase that I that I was performing at and then came to my first ever three-hour solo show um which was so great to have him there I was so nervous that I was going to mess up or people weren't going to like me um but he came to that and we just kind of got talking and um he had a song that he'd written that he had really envisaged a rich female voice to to sing and we went oh yeah let's you know let's kind of get together and do something and then when we sat down and with um Michael Dalton who's pretty prevalent in all of the recordings as well he plays lap steel and harmonica and just Hmm fills in and feels beautifully we kind of got together and had a bit of a jam of some of Sean's songs and some of my songs and realized oh we have a sound here like we've got a vibe going on and you know I have brought songs like Ragdoll that first ever song that I wrote um you know to Sean and he's just so fantastic at taking it and just kind of massaging it a little bit and going hey like what are you trying to say oh this is it what why don't we try it this way and we play with things and he just has such a brilliant mind for being able to turn things around a little bit and keep me a little bit in our lane for what our sound is going to be because I tend to you know kind of flit around a little bit but yeah they are they are just amazing we've recorded our songs um, at our bassist studio out in Spencer and it is literally it's on a hill like this and you have to there's a little caddy with a winch that takes all your instruments up and it just is beautiful it's such a lovely we just get together and we chill out and we get some recording done and we have a good time and it's really really like I'm I'm so lucky to have them and I'm so lucky to be able to work with these boys who bring so much with so little instruction <laughs> from me you know I can go hey I have this song this is what I feel this is how I feel it and they go yeah okay cool you know and run with it and everything I give them they just make a thousand times better I'm really really lucky well they probably feel like the signals are clear from you obviously with that kind of instruction there's something that they're they're picking up on so it may yeah, be yeah, probably <laughs> communicating more than you feel, more than you realize. Sure, I'll give myself a little bit of credit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which brings us to Sinner because this is a song you've recorded with them. Um, so, what is the story behind the single? 
So Sinal was written, um, oh, what about, I think about two years ago um, in COVID lockdown, in the rain, out on the porch. I was supposed to be working from home. Please don't tell my boss that. Um, <laughs> like, it at night. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's COVID time. Um, but I, I must have been thinking about pretty deeply about my mum like I'd had my son not long before we went into those lockdowns he's he's three now um and that obviously was pretty hard kind of going through that without having my mum around my mum has been gone for it'll be 10 years in January and she passed away from lung cancer and we had like we had a pretty tumultuous relationship and she had all of her own you know she has her own story and her own demons through adoption and not knowing who she was and reconnecting with our kinship network and you know there was a lot there was a lot of stuff for her and we always struggled to understand each other um but when she was sick we really made an effort to reconnect and to try to you know forgive and forget everything and just be with each other because we knew we didn't have long but she always was a complete atheist she never really lived her life by any sort of faith-based practices any sort of religious rules and that's you know she accepted everybody for exactly who they were and what their belief system was and what they wanted to do but never for her mm-hmm. um but shortly before she passed away I guess she could kind of I feel like she knew that the end was coming Mm-hmm. And she asked friends of mine who were deeply involved with the church at the time um, to pray for her. She was terrified of what was coming next and not knowing. She just wanted to have all the bases covered um, as you would. Mm-hmm. And she asked us to pray for her and we were, we were at her house and we were doing that. And she just said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Like no amount of praying will get me into heaven. This is futile. Um, she didn't say futile. She said some other words that I'm not going to put on here. <laughs> um, but you know, she thought it thought it was it to her. It felt like a pointless exercise. Um, and that that really stuck with me to kind of go. I just can't imagine how scary that would have been, and to really try to lean into beliefs that you've never had out of fear would just like that is a feeling I, I can't even imagine. I really just can't even imagine it, and. You know, I was reflecting throughout that, you know, almost eight years between her passing away and this song being written. Um, I really was thinking a lot about the way that she carried herself. And whilst we didn't always get along in a way that traditionally mother and daughter do, I always really loved that she was just so unapologetically herself. Right. It didn't matter whether it was messy. It didn't matter whether it was, you know, other people were saying it was the right or wrong thing to be doing. She it, she was the definition of you do you boo like right. you know she just yeah just absolutely loved being herself right. and when I was thinking about that and I was writing this song you know it really has become more about being able to accept exactly who you are with all of your faults and all of your flaws and understanding that humans are imperfect and. Mm-hmm we are going to mess up. Life is messy. Our existence is so, so messy. And there is there is not a single person on this planet who has not sinned and who has not judged and who has not, you know, done these things or made people feel like less than than they need to be. And that's really, I guess, with this song where I was trying to get at was I thought about how she lived her life and what her perspectives would have been. And, you know, my favourite 
lines in it are in the bridge where it says, you know, I've been angry and I've been so low, I've been caught lying and I've stole. Um, I've cut people off because I couldn't find forgiveness in this soul of mine. And I might be alone, but never you worry, I found company with the lonely. And that's that's my favourite part of the whole song where I just was like, you know what, that is really just I've done these things and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm human and this is what my life was. Yeah. Um, what a wonderful tribute to her as well because it's the so- the songs on her terms as well as her life being on her terms. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So given that you've been writing some other songs, why did you decide that Sinner was the was the, the I was going to say right song because that but that rhymes with writing. It sounds the same. The, why was Sinner the right song to release as your first single? Um, look, I was guided by a team as well that kind of, and to be honest, it wasn't a, hey, this has to be the song that it is, but right. it was, we kind of got some feedback off the, the tracks that I had done and it was out of, the, out of Sinner and the next single, one of those two was going to be the lead, the the, the debut. Um, and when the team kind of said, they went, you know, this one's like, it would get some really, like would give really good feedback. I think it would do really well. And I completely agreed with them and definitely wasn't disappointed. Um, when I rocked up to the studio when we recorded Sinner, I was late. I'm always late. Um, I was, I was running late and I was walking up this, huge hill in the rain um and I could hear the intro for the song going I could hear Sean jamming out on the Gretsch I could hear Dave on the drums and I just I stopped halfway up the hill and I just stopped and listened and I just went holy hell like this just sounds amazing and I think then you know when we were getting to that point where it was we really really need to decide um I there was really no question after that. I was tossing up with such a for such a long time, and it just seemed like once we had to put an answer on the table, there was no other answer. Right. Yeah. So you followed your instinct. Absolutely. Yeah. I hundred percent all the time. <laughs> and do you think that? I mean, I imagine given that you performed quite a bit, and well, actually you've been performing since childhood. Really, um, those <laughs> instincts as a as an artist. I guess are really well honed now. Like you had, you would have that that feeling of what works for an audience. Your ear is well tuned now to which songs work. Yeah, absolutely. I also am really lucky that the team that I do work with are very led by the decisions that the artist wants to make mm-hmm. as well, which I think is a really great balance. Like I really believe in everything that I'm going to be putting out there. I I, I wouldn't you know put it out there I guess if I didn't like I really really believe in everything that I've written and I again think that everything happens exactly when it's supposed to and that if I trust myself that everything else falls into place if you just wholeheartedly believe in what you're doing Mm -hmm. and can trust that you're doing exactly the best that you're supposed to do with the tools you have to make that decision at the moment then you cannot fail Mm -hmm. I think that trust of oneself is also a constant practice because again there's so many elements out there to make you start to doubt what you're doing mm-hmm. other people um you know the little internal voice so the internet, <laughs> the internet social media yes <laughs> uh, but you have trusted your instincts all the way to the second single which is coming out in January and it's when they call me now I was really lucky to be able to hear this um before I talked to you um, and found out about it just before I talked to you it's another really wonderful, impactful song. So I'm wondering what the story is behind that one. I'm so glad you like it. Um, when They Call Me is my favourite song. Oh. 
out of everything that I've written, it is wow. my favorite. Um, and it's reasonably new. I wrote it probably about 18 months ago and I, I actually wrote it about, so the, in this, in when they call me, the they isn't a person, it's a thing, it's a memory, it's a trigger, it's a smell, it's, it's whatever it is that takes you back to whatever moment you get taken back to throughout your life. Mm-hmm. And in the verses, it's kind of made up of a lot of different things that people get told. And it's about my, it's actually about my experience growing up within foster care. Right. Um, you know, you're, you move placements or you go back or you're new in, you know, so many different schools and there's so many changes all the time and you're constantly, and it's no one's fault. It's, it's the way that I guess the trauma of those kind of situations work, but you constantly feel the need to reinvent yourself and it's, you're too much of this. You're not enough of that. You do this too much. You don't do that enough. And that really kind of formed the basis of, of the song and, I, I wrote it after reconnecting with a friend um, who I work with in my day job now. We were best friends in year seven. Oh, and, yeah, best friends in year seven for the whole of year seven. She is the only person in my life who has met my dad. Right. Because um, he wasn't ever really around. And she came and spent the Christmas holidays with me because I didn't feel comfortable going on my own. And she came with me and we just had this such a strong connection so young. And then I moved away and she moved away. And we completely lost touch until I started working where I'm working now. And I saw her name pop up and we reconnected. And it was throughout a conversation with her where she kind of brought up a memory for me from from back when we were friends. And I realised that you can do years, you can do a lifetime of therapy, you can do all the CBT, you can do all the mindfulness, you can put all of that and do all the work mm-hmm. to get everything in practice to I guess get better at dealing with those things but that is actually exactly what you do is you get better at not letting it define you you don't get over the moment the mm. moment define the moment made you who you are mm. you don't get over that you just get better at what level of control it has over you and I guess I'd never realized that until that moment with her that I went oh, I've done all this work but I'm still right back in that moment I'm right. I'm back there they've called me and I'm right I'm right back there so um yeah that's what it was written about and I've played it for a few people and they have taken such different things from it, which I think might be why it's one of my favourite songs is that I, that's what I want people to do. I don't want my meaning of a song to be, you know, the bold type definition. I think that it needs to be interpretive and it needs to be exactly what people need when they need it. And what I've had from this song feedback wise and what I feel when I put it out there, when I play it live or I play it for people and I can, I can just, I can see their minds turning and I can, you know, feel this sense of connection with, with what I'm singing about. And they they wouldn't have the same experiences as me, mm. but I do think that everybody has moments that they can't control whether they pop up for them or not. And, you know, that's, that's what this, this song is about. Um, And in the bridge, it kind of changes the way that I'm wording things to be a little bit more from an advocacy point of view, you know, like you have these things and everyone has those experiences. And I think the more that we're open about them and the more that we talk about them and the more that we hold space for, for people to need to, yeah, the better I think we're going to be. I mean, just you talking about your childhood being in foster care, changing homes quite a bit. And, and then you're also talking about as a, 
know, when you were singing songs as a child and and being inside that song and playing characters, what's interesting talking to you is you have such a strong sense of self. It's now. not like yeah. you, you disappeared into uh, in, into playing those roles. I think there, there could have been a, a time when maybe you were just all parts, you know what I mean? It was all characters you were playing. So that suggests to me that the role of art in your life has been actually to help you find the core of you. Absolutely. And, you know, also finding the right people and feeling that you're worthy of inviting the right people in. That was such a huge change for me when I moved up to the Central Coast and uh, up here. I'm so at home. I've really, really found, I've found my people, um, which is so lovely. And being having people hold that space for me that I think everybody needs to do um, really was a life changer. Like, yeah, it, it's been a journey. Um, but, you know, I think if you, you know, what you want and it doesn't need to be a specific goal but you know I, I knew what I didn't want um and just constantly steering away from that kind of leads you in the right direction you know yeah. I think you have to take opportunities that come your way and grab them with both hands and do the best you can with the information that you've got and you'll be all right yeah um and I think you're more than all right with what you're doing now I mean it also okay. suggests to me that now as an artist you understand that relationship with the audience where you, know, you are certainly in that act of letting go of stories and sending them out into the world I'm wondering if there are artists who have been that for you where you, you felt that connection with them absolutely um there are particular songs that you know people that I haven't met that I feel like I I know um like Leanne Rams was a big, big one for me when I was growing up. I met her once when I was 14. She touched my hand. I cried, um, <laughs> like hysterical crying. Security had to come over and make sure that, that I was like. okay. Um, but, yeah, like resonated with a lot of it. And I know like in her early years, you know, Leanne didn't write that much, but she just sang with such connection and such soul um, mm. that, you know, that kind of made me go, oh, I want to be able to do that for people, you know. So she was a big inspiration. Uh, but songwriting-wise, Sarah Borelli's is one of my favourite artists. She's so clever lyrically. She's so moving. She's one of the artists, I think, that, you know, she doesn't always release things that are what people are asking for. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. She's like, no, I actually am just going to release what people need to hear and, that you know that's what I'm gonna do um mm -hmm. and there's another she's um from Sydney uh Caitlin Harnett I yeah. saw her we played a show together she was a uh, tiny um I'm a bit older than her but we played a show together at this cafe in Parramatta and I was just absolutely mesmerized by her and still am by absolutely everything that she does she's she's just incredible um and Imogen Clark as well is another another big one for me I just think that they are both such strong storytellers Mm -hmm. and I just connect with a lot of what they do. Yeah, uh, they're both fantastic um, artists. And, uh, yeah, Caitlin I saw many years ago when she was very, very young, possibly. That I remember seeing her in Parramatta. I'm now thinking, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you there? <laughs> um, well, Brimmy, I could probably talk to you for another two hours, but I should let you go to your evening. Um, it's been so interesting to talk to you and to to have a sense now of, of what I've heard in those songs, like what's behind that, because they – they do have a kaleidoscope within them and I think you seem to have a full spectrum life. So that makes sense. <laughs> I so love that that's come out through through that. That's um that's absolutely wonderful to hear. Thank you. Yeah, no, there's a, it, they're really, really rich songs. So the the current single is Sin and the next single will be When They Call Me Out in January. Ruby Shea, it's been such a treat to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.